This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Resources, LLC. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, it's your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm Julie Ames on AM 860 The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is an essay, Welcome to Holland by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. And Holland isn't a bad place. It's just a different place, so you must go out and buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. Holland is a co-word for living life for those with disabilities. My hope and prayer is that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. This has been a good week in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Maria and Christina, who are 19 and 17, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is a typical 14-year-old. We just had an awesome trip to Maine so the girls could see where their daddy grew up. We stayed at his home that is now bed and breakfast. And I'm sorry to get emotional, but we don't really travel with the kids. We took a trip with them to Key West <laughs> when they were little, and we didn't take them anywhere for the next five years. Just to go to Disney World, we got a membership at Bush Gardens and went there, oh, three or four times just to get them ready for Disney World. So the fact that we actually took a plane flight and flew into um, uh, Boston and then drove to Maine, they were wonderful. A few years back, Jeff said, you know what? They need their own bags and they need to pack their own bags. And they did. They did everything. The only mess up is I forgot their shampoo at one of the hotels. So they had to do the shampoo and conditioner instead of on one. So I needed to help them. <laughs> so that was like the only flaw in this plan was me forgetting losing their shampoo at the first stop. So it was an amazing trip. I think the most time that we've ever spent away from them is five days. And that was last year. So they're finally getting to a point of independence. Uh, last year we took a trip and it was the first time in 19 years that I had not packed food for Maria. So I cannot tell you what. A miracle it was to actually go on this trip. And I think to myself, am I imagining this? You know, it, was it, is it, were they really this hard? And I will tell you that in February 2012, we took them to Stone Mountain because that was the closest place we could find snow to show them. And um, we took them there and we were starving and we ended up at a pancake house. Maria was about to have a meltdown. And I can't tell you how hungry we all were. But my husband and I knew that we were about to leave the pancake house, even though we had a seat. We got through it. So that's how difficult things can be. And I know that may not make sense. If you're in this situation, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. But we made the trip, and um, I can't believe it. They were fine with <laughs> takeoff and landing and changing hotels every day. Marie and Christina do not want to be anywhere cold. They want to remain in Florida. 
We have an awesome guest today. Our guest is Liz Montefiou, the founder of Montefiou Consulting. Liz has been guiding individuals through the rough waters of social security disability and SSI claims for over 25 years. She has experience in benefit coordination and can help whether you are filing for benefits for the first time or you are preparing to go before an administrative law judge at a hearing. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. I am here with Liz Montefiou of Montefiou Consulting. Liz has been guiding individuals through the rough waters of Social Security Disability and SSI claims for over 25 years. Hi, Liz. Please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your background. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you today. I appreciate that very much. Yes, 25 years sounds like a long time. (laughs) It really (laughs) has been quite a journey. Um, I started out my career as a claims adjuster, actually doing workers' compensation claims. Yes. And after doing that for about a decade or so, um, one of the gentlemen that I worked for, uh, he and his wife decided to go out and start the type of business that I'm doing today. Wow. And he asked me if I might be interested in a little change. And I said, yes, I think I'm ready for that. Yes. So I went to work for them and learned how to represent folks under the Social Security system. Um, you do not have to be an attorney to do this type of work, so I'm not an attorney. Right. I'm a, what's considered a non-attorney representative by Social Security. Uh, they do offer an exam that we need to take as non-attorneys so that everyone knows that we understand the law and how to apply it to the various cases. Right, so, so you're certified. I'm, right. They don't call it certified through the government. It's just we're considered to be a non-attorney representative. Uh, so I've done that, and I keep up my continuing education each year as required by Social Security and for that yes. purpose. Yes. We're able to help through the initial application process all the way up through the hearings and appeals process yes. uh, to the appeals council. Uh, but after working with uh, my friend and his wife for several years, they sold their company to a larger corporation, which changed the right. atmosphere of the work environment, yes. Did not was not as uh, inclusive with our clients, you know, weren't able to have sit downs and one-on-ones and things like that. Right. Well, but, I, saw, I saw in your website where you said, we exist to help people plain and simple. Yes. Where did that come from? Yes, that's, we really don't want people to think they're a number, so that right. they're lost in the big corporate conglomeration. Each individual's case is so specifically addressed under the regulations, and everyone needs one-on-one care. So that's what we tend to take with everyone. Everyone gets a free consultation with me just so that we can see how we can best help them in their situation and um, then how we can forward them to other resources if we need to do that yes. if we're not able to help them. So when the large corporation brought out your former yes. boss... You were with a large corporation. Right. And back in 2007, I believe it was, they uh, sold. And then the whole transition of about a year took place where we helped everybody kind of get into the new environment. Right. But then uh, the Lord really led me to go out on my own and start my own company so that I could keep the atmosphere small and really specialize yes. like we're doing now. Yes. Well, what's so. amazing to me, Liz, is I, you know, I kept hearing that there are people that handle Social Security but anytime I hear it, it's always financial planners and that type of thing, not not people dealing with 
children such as my children and my friends who have right. children and, and young adults. Exactly. Yeah, there are quite a few that you will hear advertising now because retirement is such a big issue for folks. But really, we specialize just in the disability aspect because it is such a specialized area and one that really needs, you know, one-on-one attention um, and developing evidence and learning how to point people to the right resources so that they can present the best case possible to Social Security for that purpose. Yes. And we do assist both adults and children, um, but not every representative that you'll find for Social Security disability will represent children, and everyone does that. Yes. But we, we felt from the beginning that we wanted to do that just to help families one family at a time yes. in whatever situation they're in the best we could. Well, fortunately, Phyllis Guthman, she's a sponsor of the show. Yes. As she told me about you, and I got to meet you at Buddy Baseball. Yes. So we're, your daughter's a buddy. She is. Now, you have two daughters. I do, yep. Hannah's yes. our 14-year-old. She's involved with Buddy Baseball now for several seasons. As yes. a company, we've sponsored the same team and got to watch the children grow and develop through the league, which has been incredible. But yes. as a buddy, she helps a special needs student play the game and run the bases, and just, it's a, just a blast to get to know the families and to watch them participate. Uh, and I also have an older daughter who's yes. uh, 24. She's been oh married for about a year now, and she's doing great, and she works as a full-time nanny. So Wow. Yeah, she enjoys that. She's a graduate of USF in the social work program, so is also oh, kind of so, getting her fingers into that as well. Yes, but that's a great complementary social work and nanny. Right. That works well together. It does. Yeah. Really well together. Well, why don't we get into the SSI basics? Sure. So can you tell us, like, what is the difference between SSI and Social Security Disability? Yes, that is one of the most common questions that we get. So just real briefly, Social Security Disability is what you and I and anyone else who works and pays into the system is eligible for based on the earnings that you pay into Social Security from that FICA tax out of your paycheck. So most children are not going to qualify for that because they've never worked for the most part. So Social Security Disability is eligible. You have to have 10 years or you've had a good solid work history before you become disabled, and five out of those last 10 years, you have to have earned enough to qualify for the program. So how much would you have had to earn? Do you know? It, each year is different. You can go on Social okay. Security's website, and they oh. have a listing each year of what they consider to be an appropriate quarter. It's a moving target. It is. They call it a quarter oh. of coverage. So you can look on their website for any particular year that you're looking for to get that information. Okay. Um, the SSI program is Supplemental Security Income. Yes. That program is also federally run, but each state manages it a little bit differently. Um, the maximum benefit amounts right now um, for an individual in Florida are seven thirty three a month, and for a couple is eleven hundred a month. Okay. And SSI is available to anyone who qualifies under the financial criteria and the medical criteria that are set okay. up in the program. It does not require you to have work to pay into the system. Okay, it's a means tested benefit. Okay, right. got it. And then, are there medical benefits associated with any of these benefits? Yes, um, with SSI. You're eligible for Medicaid. If you receive even just $1 worth of SSI in any given month, you're automatically qualified for Medicaid here in Florida. Under the Social Security Disability Program, Yes, that is associated with Medicare, but you have to be disabled for two years before the Medicare kicks in. So there is a waiting period under Social Security Disability. So what we do find is that some individuals can file concurrent claims for both SSI and Social Security. That way they may be eligible for Medicaid during the time where they're waiting for their Medicare to kick in after that two-year waiting period. Yes. Now, for the supplemental income for children with disabilities or young adults with disabilities, really the only things available, if I understand this correctly, is a supplemental Social Security income Mm -hmm. and Medicaid waiver. Correct? Right. Well, they can get straight Medicaid benefits. Also, the Medicaid waiver is a little different program, which I don't have a lot of specialty in that particular area of Medicaid. But right. under anyone who receives, like, say, at least a dollar of SSI in Florida, you will get straight Medicaid. 
Uh, there's it. no waiting period for that. Okay. Okay. So as far as the SSI eligibility and the twofold process, um, I guess it's financial and the medical. So how would you right. go through the financial part? Of it? Right. And the financial part, specifically addressing the children, since we're kind of focusing on them today, Right. Um, the family's income and resources are taken into consideration. So Social Security uh, takes into account any income and resources that the parents would have in determining right. whether or not the child is going to be eligible for benefits. And there's a whole list on Social Security's website of all the different types of income that they look at. They classify it as either earned income, which is wages, right. or unearned income, which could be things like a pension or unemployment okay. benefits, things like that. Okay. Now, what happens to the financial eligibility review once a child turns 18? Once a child turns 18, Social Security automatically puts them under the adult review process. Okay. So from the financial standpoint, what that means is that individual now who's 18, their income and resources would be taken into consideration for whether or not they qualify for SSI. So, yes. for example, if you had a child who was under age 18 living in a household where the parents earned more money than they needed to under the SSI program um, right. to qualify, then once that child hit age 18, as an adult living in that other person's household, being the parents, right. then they may be eligible for benefits uh, depending upon how the uh, income was reported to Social Security and things like that. Right. What some families do is they'll charge a, a household expense, for example, just given a round number, $200 a month that right. this individual is going to be responsible for and come up with like a loan agreement. Yes. And that can be submitted to Social Security to show that it's not a gift I'm giving to my child. They're actually going to have some responsibility. Right. So whenever they're able to pay that back, they will start doing it under oh. the assumption that hopefully once benefits are started, they can pay that back. Right. So it'd be like maybe they're paying rent for the house exactly. and their and food. Exactly. living expenses. Right. Right. So they're they're assuming responsibility for themselves. Yes, exactly. It gives them a level of independence, but yet still keeps them qualified for that benefit program. Yes. Um, the individual in that situation that met all the other requirements could get the maximum amount. If right. the family's not able to or the individual would not be able to handle a repayment like that, right. then there would be an automatic one-third deduction um, of the benefit amount. So it would be more around the 460 per month rather than the 733 to take into account the support that the family right. is giving to the individual in the household. Oh, right. And here's a – well, the interesting thing I, I've talked about in other shows is, is yes, your, your children are living with you, but at some point you're not going to be there. Exactly. And you want them to have the Social Security – or the supplemental income, so that they have an income when you're not there one day. Right. Because I, I actually know, I have a friend, and her mother's 70, and her special needs sister is about 50, mm. but she's never received anything. Wow. And in in some point, no one's going to be there to take care of her. So, right. but why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break? Okay. And when we come back, let's talk about the medical eligibility process. Sure. Okay. All right. This is Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. I'm here with Liz Montefiou of Montefiou Consulting. We'll be back in a moment to discuss more of Social Security benefits. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm 
Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Liz Montefiore of Montefiore Consulting. Liz has been guiding individuals to the rough waters of Social Security disability and SSI claims for over 25 years. We just discussed financial eligibility for the supplemental security income, and it's a twofold process that also includes medical eligibility. Could you please expand on what that includes? Yes, definitely. The uh, medical review process for children is done under a sequential step formula that Social Security uses. Very methodical. The first step being the financial piece we just talked about. Yes. So if a family doesn't qualify financially, they won't even get into these next few steps. Okay. Um, so once we have passed the financial tests, then the next step we want to look at is whether or not the individual has a severe impairment. Now, Social Security's definition of a severe impairment includes a couple of different things. First, the impairment has to have been of duration of at least 12 months or expected to have lasted for 12 months. Okay. And for most children that we see that come through, that's not usually an issue. Right. Um, with the second part of that test is, does the impairment actually have more than a minimal impact on that individual's ability to function at home, in the community, at school, right. in any other environment? So it's really kind of a, a lower test for severity, just more than a minimal impact on their ability to function. Right. With Social Security, the next step you get into for SSI with the kids then is whether or not that severe impairment meets what they call a listing under the Social Security listings. And I'll explain that in right. just one second. And if it doesn't meet a listing, then functional equivalence of the listings is the next very important category. Okay. So what we see with the medical listings is, for example, a child with a very severe impairment such as spina bifida. Okay. Um, that is an obvious severe impairment of a duration of more than 12 months to be expected for sure. And there's a specific listing under the Social Security regulations for that particular impairment right. where the physician can provide evidence to show that this condition does meet that requirement. And then the benefits are awarded based upon the medical severity. So you don't even have to get into issues of functioning. Right, right. Now, are there other conditions that are eligible for automatic awards of benefits? There are. There's what's called the Compassionate Allowance Program under Social Security. And that was developed a few years ago by the previous commissioner. And there's over 200 diagnoses that are included in this program. Oh, my. Uh, some examples for the children would be uh, childhood neuroblastoma, either with distant metastases or recurrent condition. Yes. Childhood non-Hodgkin lymphoma recurrent, uh, Farber's disease, infantile bilateral optic atrophy, and, of course, juvenile onset Huntington's disease. That's just an example of a few. Oh, my. And they're all either terminal conditions or very severe. And if the medical evidence can be provided to Social Security right up front at the time of application, right. the claim is expedited in a matter of weeks as opposed to a matter of months. Right. So payment can start much more quickly. Yes. And you know that any time a family has a challenge on that level, I yes. mean, juvenile Huntington's, oh yes. my gosh, yes. they definitely would need to expedite it. Now, what if a child has more than one significant diagnosis that needs to be considered? In that case, the regulations are very clear. Social Security must consider that child as a whole person. They can't okay. just pigeonhole one or two of their diagnoses. They must look at everything, whether it's medical, um, psychological, whatever it might be. And so developing evidence at that point of functional equivalency to the listings is very important because the majority of the cases that we see are not severe enough to meet the medical listings, so we right. have to address functional capabilities. Can you possibly give us an example of that but not use a person's actual name? Oh, of course. Yeah, we so, had um, an individual who came in with a severe heart defect yes. that the child was born with as well as asthma, which was somewhat related to that as well. So pulmonary and cardiology both were very well affected. Right. Um, this individual is in the hospital 
you know, multiple times throughout the year to address severe asthma attacks and things like that. Right. But in addition to those physical issues, they would manifest through other behavioral issues as well. So we got records from not only the physicians to document the medical conditions, but also from the school, from other caregivers, from after-school caregivers to document the behavioral issues that needed to be addressed um, that would also come into play with this evaluation. Right. Now, in that situation, is that where you, do you submit all those papers upon the application for the social supplemental income, or do you have to go to the judge or... It's always best to submit as much as you can up front. Right. So when we're talking with potential clients, we always ask what evidence has already been developed, and then we'll have them develop that as quickly as we can in the process. The more you submit early on, the better chance you have of getting a decision earlier in the process. Right. You've probably heard most people say everyone gets denied the first time, and that comes to play in a lot of cases, even where we have a representative. But the key is developing evidence that can be used to overcome those denials and get the proper decision as early as possible in the system. But, of course, as time goes on, the wait time right now for a case once you file is about 18 months to two years from the date of application to a hearing, should you need to go all the way to a hearing. So it's quite a lengthy process. So during that time, our goal is to develop enough evidence from all the different sources so that we can petition Social Security. Um, They have an informal process by which we can do that, especially here in the Tampa area, and ask for a decision early if the records would... um, would support that kind of early decision. Okay, so if, if one of the listeners is listening to you and they've submitted everything that you said and they've been rejected, mm-hmm. what do they do now? So they right. can fill out the appeal process themselves or they could call someone like you yes. to help. Yes, it's very important to always look at the correspondence you get with a denial for the time deadlines. Most of the denials require a 60-day appeal deadline, so you okay. have to get that done within 60 days. If you've already done that and your case is now just sitting at the next level waiting, we right. can certainly jump in with you and help you at that point to prepare it for the next level. Okay. For example, if you've been denied twice and now you're waiting because you've requested a hearing, that's right. a great time to have a representative jump in and help you prepare for that hearing because you don't want to go in front of the judge without a representative to help you who understands the system and understands what evidence you need. And I would think just to understand what questions the judge may ask. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I could picture myself being asked all these questions and not even knowing the right words or the right vocabulary. Right. Or Believe it or not, they're very informal processes. And especially with the children, most judges are very down to earth with them. And yes. the questions all surround your daily activities and okay. how functioning is impacted in all the different activities at home, with neighbors and the other community situations at school in whatever venues a child might be in. Okay. Well, so, like, okay, for Maria's guardianship hearing, we were just at a table with the judge, the lawyer, two lawyers, mm-hmm. and um, the person taking the notes. And so it's probably very like that, similar. very informal. Yes, that's what I always tell people. It's more like a conference room than a courtroom. Yes, and Maria yes. felt comfortable. Yes. So it was a comfortable mm-hmm. environment. It wasn't It wasn't scary. Right, okay. right. All right. Exactly. And the good thing is they record the entire proceeding so that if there is a decision that's not favorable to you at the end of the hearing, right. an appeal can be made and you can listen exactly to the testimony and point out where errors were made in the decision. Okay. So that's very helpful. Good. All right. Because in my mind, I pictured myself in a regular courtroom. Right. And most people do because they're not yes. familiar with it. Okay. Yeah. Which is extremely intimidating. Yes. And then, of course, if they have someone with you, like you with them, then that's... Right. And really the key, even to before getting into that hearing room, to having a representative is to developing evidence. We have questionnaires that we use for medical providers as well as teachers and other professionals who may have contact with the child to address the very specific functional issues that we know Social Security puts a lot of weight in. Okay. So, and What are some examples of that? Some examples of that would be, uh, does the child have uh, a self-awareness? of knowing about just safeties in the community? Right. Uh, are they able to take care of their own independent personal hygiene needs? 
are they able to make friends and maintain friendships? Right. You know, so even things outside of the academic school world that everyone yes. knows what types of questions are addressed there, it's more along the lines of personal interrelationships, things like that. Right. The whole person. Yeah, the whole person. Got right. it. Again, you want to make sure you hit every area. Social Security actually has six different functional domains that they look at okay. for the children, and two of those six different areas have to be what they call very severe or marked in order for the case to be awarded. So we can get into that a little bit now. We can wait till the next segment right. if you'd like to do that. Why don't we wait till the next segment to okay. go into the different Social Security domains? I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. I'm here with Liz Montefiore of Montefiore Consulting, and we are going over the Social Security basic um, benefits and explaining that to our listeners. So we'll be back in a moment. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. I am here with Liz Montefiore of Montefiore Consulting, and we're talking about SSI benefits for children and we were just starting to talk about the six functional domains of Social Security. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on those for the audience, explain what that means, sure. and if you could do that. Yeah, that's great. Most of the cases we see are going to need to be evaluated under these six domains yes. because they are not going to be severe enough to meet the listings like we talked about. The first one is called acquiring and using information. That's basically the child's ability to learn and then retain what they learn. Right. And different areas that are considered under this domain would be visual and verbal reasoning, okay. uh, problem-solving skills, idea development. Can they tell a story? Right. Can you ask them how was their day? Can they communicate to you what they learned in math that day? Right. Or can you tell me a story about what happened on the playground today? Yes. Can they do that on their own? Um, perceptual or sensory motor skills are also considered in here because how they perceive things that they're learning is going to have a big role to play in how they're able to retain that. Yes. And then, of course, language and memory processes are very important, too. Those are evaluated under that domain. Right. So how are they doing with speech? Are they able to be understood by others? And then do they understand what they're hearing? Okay. So Does time come in there? You know how some kids don't understand time? Yes. That's That sounds weird, but it's really, I don't know if you've, You've probably been around kids like that where they have no concept of time and they don't know when what happened when. Yes, very hard for them to explain when did this happen or when did yes. you learn about that or when did you last see your friend you know, on the playground. They Which might is, not be able to identify that in and, terms of time. And that's a huge disability. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that is considered. Yes. Um, the second area would be attending and completing tasks. And a lot of our children with ADHD yes. and things like that would fall into this category especially because alertness is a big part of this category. Ability to work at an appropriate pace is a huge thing that's looked at. Right. Uh, the teachers are given a questionnaire that goes into a lot of detail about the child's classroom activities and also you know, social activities on the playground and other things, other special classes, things like that they might be in. And how are they doing on pace? Do they need extra time to complete homework? Do right. they need extra explanation in class? Do they need special tutoring or anything to help them outside of class? And the parents, of course, have a huge role 
to help with homework at home, but sometimes they also need extra tutoring even beyond what the parents can help with. Right. So, so Social Security sends the questionnaires to the teachers? Yes, Social Security okay. has them, and we also have some that we use as well. They get okay. into very specific, and it'll actually ask the teacher to address whether or not these problems are, are evident on a daily basis, a weekly basis, only occasional. You know, how right. frequently are you seeing this happen? Right. Because, again, that goes to severity. If it's only occasional, it's probably not going to be severe enough to meet that marked standard right. that you have to meet under the Social Security regulation. Right. So uh, impulsivity is another big one right. under this. How, what kind of self-control you know, does the child exhibit in class? Do they know how to take turns? You know, can they do <laughs> things like that? Ability to initiate and sustain their focus. Do they have to constantly be prompted to do things? Or can right. they start a task and finish it on their own without reminders and different promptings? Right. So, And that applies to a home situation as well. How often do you have to tell him to go brush his teeth before you get ready for school? Yes. <laughs> or does he do it the first time? You know, That applies to the classroom setting as well. How often yes. does that child need to be prompted by the teacher okay. uh, to finish tasks? So those are the first two. The third area is interacting and relating with others. Right. And, of course, that considers all aspects of social interaction with groups and individuals. So things like speech and language ability, again, come into play here. Some of these categories will overlap. Right. Because um, speech and language, of course, goes into several of them. Um, response to emotional and behavioral cues. Are they able to control their emotions or if they're bullied or if they perceive that they're being bullied, how do they handle that? Right. Um, you know, are they able to maintain friendships or do they isolate themselves you right. know, from others that are their peers? And then, of course, um, with authority figures, how do they get along with teachers and others at the school who are, you know, their mentors or social workers, counselors, things like that. Right. Uh, can they form intimate relationships, both in the household as well as with friends? Right. So I guess that would those. be similar to autistic children that may yes. not be able to. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then um, maladaptive behaviors is what Social Security calls it. But, um, again, that's really in this, their responses to different activities. Uh, okay. or situations that come into their space, for lack of a better term. Okay. How do they respond? Are they immediately throwing their hands up and running away? Are they fighting and aggressively getting towards someone? And then how does that ultimately affect their ability to maintain that relationship? I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm here with Liz Montefiore of Montefiore Consulting, and we're talking about SSI benefits for children and how to navigate the different areas of eligibility. So, Liz, tell us about the fourth area. Yes, the fourth area gets into the physical realm a lot more. It's moving about and manipulating objects. So yes. children that have physical limitations are going to be evaluated more heavily under this category. And right. things like sitting, standing, balancing, shifting their weight, right. um, transferring, things like that are all going to be considered here. Holding onto and carrying objects is also important. What kind of manipulative right. activities can they do with their hands and arms? Right. Um, and then again, planning, remembering, and executing movements. That uh, the memory factor right. here kind of overlaps like the from the other. Factor? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Do they remember how to put the peg into that particular, you know, right. hole? Is it a square? Is it a circle? What is it? Okay. You know, and of course, different age categories have different things on which you're going to evaluate this. Um, coordination and dexterity all come into that right. as well. And then whether or not they're using any special equipment, assistive devices, and things like that would be evaluated here under this this okay. category. And then integration of sensory input as things are coming up against them as they're trying to execute different movements and activities. Can they process those exterior movements and sensory input that comes at them while they're still trying to remember what they're supposed to be doing? Right. So, again, the questionnaires we send to the teachers are very specific and go into a lot of the areas that need to be addressed, whether they're daily, weekly, or occasional, things like yes. that. 
And what's interesting, I'm sure if there's anyone listening to the show and they're not familiar with special needs, a lot of this might not make sense. Right. But it is so true. There are so many areas that a child can have challenges in. Oh, there are. And it's really it's great the way Social Security has finally done this. They made this change a few years ago in the law to evaluate children yes. in this way because you can't just use a one-size-fits-all for no. children with special needs especially because every child with ADHD has a manifestation in a different way. There's nothing... Right. It's exactly the same about any two cases. Right. Everything's different. Right. Um, let me get into the last two real quickly. Okay. Um, caring for yourself. Yes. This is pretty straightforward. Can the child care for their own personal needs, maintain a healthy emotional state on their own? So, again, it kind of overlaps with the others. How do they deal with stress? Right. Um, do they have an awareness of health and safety? Are they allowed to play outside by themselves or will they run into the street the first chance they get? You know, Can right. they ride a bike by themselves or do they have to always be supervised? Okay. You know, things like that. Um, increasing sense of independence and confidence. Is a child exhibiting the desire to do that and then the ability to become increasingly independent even in small things right. like taking care of their own physical needs, right. keeping their room clean, you know, yes. things like the that. The basics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the last area, again, is health and physical well-being. So the effects of a chronic illnesses, like we talked about before, the asthma, cardiovascular right. illnesses, and the chronic that reduce the child's stamina. Right. Or they have pain that might impact their activities. Um, the impact of various therapies and medications. A lot of medications have adverse side effects. Yes. You know, so that all comes into play there. And then is a condition exacerbated by the weather, by a particular life event, anything like that. Any exacerbation is taken into account there as well. So those are the six areas. Just a brief overview of each one of those that really need to be evaluated in detail by any of the people that are in the child's life. Right. Now, would that go in and the, is that... Does that happen in the appeal process, or does that happen when you apply? Um, that happens in the disability determination process, but the evidence you submit to Social Security, you need to address all of those areas. That's why these questionnaires that we send out and that Social Security sends out to you are very important. Because if you file the claim, you know that Social Security is going to send you questionnaires because you've seen them come in. Right. <laughs> and they require very detailed answers and giving day-to-day -day specific examples of how your child has difficulty with certain activities is a great way to illustrate for them how they're impacted. Yes. Instead of just making a list, well, he can't do this, he can't do that, give a specific example of right. how someone is impaired in that way. Like, I have to remind him 10 times to clean his room. He cannot do it on his own. Right. Or he can brush his back teeth, but for some reason he can't brush his yes. front teeth. Exactly. <laughs> We're overcoming that challenge yes. at home. Yes. <laughs> but again, anyone in the child's life, parents, caregivers, teachers, counselors, after school, right. you know, workers, anyone who has contact with that child is a great source. Okay. Well, you can get these things. Great. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Liz Montefiou of Montefiou Consulting, and we're discussing Social Security benefits for children. When we come back, we will talk about the process for filing an application with Social Security. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Liz Montefiou of Montefiou Consulting. We are discussing Social Security benefits for children. 
And what is the best way to prepare to file an application for SSI? Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure that you have as much evidence together as you can from your medical providers documenting the diagnoses that your children have been found to have. That's without medical evidence, Social Security cannot review the case. Now, in instances where there's financial hardship and you don't have a doctor that's diagnosed anything, Social Security can send the child out for a CE, but very rarely would they ever do that without some sort of medical reporting. Okay, and a CE is what? A CE is a consultative evaluation that's with Social Security's doctor, um, where it's no cost to the family, but Social Security sends the child out to a specialist to evaluate them under whatever area they're claiming they have an impairment in. Okay. Um, but it's much better to come in with your own medical evidence okay. and school evidence. If the, if the child's right. of school age, you want to make sure anything from the school IEP, uh, the 504B plan, anything that's available from the guidance counselors and other school officials or counselors should be submitted at that time as well. Okay. Um, you could actually file online. Yes. On the Social Security website. Do you or, recommend that? <laughs> <laughs> um, in certain cases, yes. And it's okay to do that. And you can also file in person at the local office. Um, the benefit to filing in person at the local office is to actually have the Social Security staff viewing and talking with your child if the child's old enough yes. to communicate with the workers there. Because the regulations under Social Security actually um, allow them to write comments about what they observe about your child. Right. And that can also go toward being strong evidence in your case to support what you're submitting from other outside sources. Right. Um, so if you're able to do that, that's great. If you're not, the online application is available uh, for a certain portion of the um, process. You will have to talk with someone at your local offices to confirm your financial situation, though. Right. They do like to do that in person. All right. And how does the review process work and how long does it take? Um, right now, from the time you file an initial claim to get the first decision is usually three to six months. Okay. And that will depend on how much evidence you submit up front and how much additional evidence needs to be developed. Once Social Security looks at the case and says, oh, we have a hole here. We don't have this from the school. We might need a different specialist to see your child. Right. Or we have enough and we can go ahead and start evaluating it now. Okay. And then what are some specific areas that SSA case rep- representatives take a look at when they begin reviewing the child's case? Right. They're going to look at those six functional domains that we talked about right. after they look at the medical listings. The medical listings are those that are listed in the Social Security regulations for each body system. Right. That if the child has a very severe impairment under one of those systems, like we talked about the spina bifida, right. that would be an automatic medical award and they wouldn't even have to get into the functioning issues. Okay. So once the medical award has been dismissed, then you get into the functional evaluation. Right. Okay. Well, for me, my daughter turned 18 uh, she's now 19. So about a year ago, we set up our meeting at Social Security, mm-hmm. and I set it up right before she turned 18. That's a bad idea. Oh, okay. You're supposed to set it up like the day they turn 18, <laughs> and that's because you were saying they have to do an evaluate child evaluation versus an adult yeah, evaluation? Yeah, once a child hits age 18, Social Security considers them an adult on their yes. birthday, and they will evaluate them under the adult rules medically as well as financially, but medically yes. it's important. It's a very different process than it is with the children who are under age 18. Right. So if you file and your child turns 18 during the process, you can have them doing double work, basically, which they don't always enjoy, but that's okay. Because <laughs> if right. it needs to be done, it needs to be done. Right. But they will evaluate them under both standards and then make a decision on whether they met the criteria as a minor child and then whether they met the criteria as an adult after age 18. Yes. Well, I will admit to you, as a fiscal conservative, I mean, I always thought that we should help people who can help themselves. And I never, ever thought that I would actually be taking a child of mine Mm -hmm. to a Social Security office to apply for benefits. And that felt very awkward. But um, what I've realized is my husband and I, we've been saving up for our retirement 
But then there's that realization of that we have two children, Marie and Christine, in 1917, that are probably going to live another 50 years. Yes. That are going to need benefits. So it just it felt awkward, but I knew that she needed them. So when I went in, and I was showing you my book. I brought my whole book here. Yeah. So when I went in, I brought the IEP, the Individual okay. Education Plan, the Psychological Evaluation from School, and then they're on the Medicaid waiver list. Not that they will ever see anything, but that proved there was a letter there proving that they were accepted under autism yes so i had all that documentation that's excellent and then the form that you had to fill out was related to expenses okay okay so i had to have and you tell me if this is correct if i remember correctly i think i had like the water bill um the mortgage payment insurance i can't remember the whole list right, here? Right, Living expenses are what they consider. Right? Yes. They're not going to consider cable bills and things like that. Right. But, you know, utilities, your rent, you know, housing, food, things like that all get considered. Insurance yes. is important. Yes. Yeah. And we were talking earlier that sometimes parents will have a tendency that they want their child to get all these benefits, mm-hmm. but you never, ever lie. That is absolutely true. Yes. Because Social Security will find, besides ethical reasons, right. they will know. They will. And as you're going through the process, you're asked to fill out so many different questionnaires. That's why I said it's always great to give real life examples on those questionnaires, yes. because that's just the truth of how your child's situation plays out every day. And Social Security is going to look at what your medical providers are saying they have as diagnoses. And then you're given these day to day examples. And that's right. going to really supplement what the doctors are saying. Wow. She's diagnosed with ADHD. She really is impulsive, and here's an example of how that plays out every day. Yes, yes. And you had some summary things you wanted to tell us. Yeah, just a few things I wanted to make sure everybody remembered. When you're dealing with Social Security, always read the correspondence you get from them thoroughly and completely. There will often be time limits that are explained to you on the second or third page that you don't want to miss for filing appeals or submitting additional evidence. So be sure to take a look at that. Complete forms and questionnaires with detailed examples of daily living like we talked about. Right. Um, always adhere to the time frames that you're given. And when you speak to anybody, whether it's on the phone or in person at Social Security, just keep a journal of who you talk to, the date you talk to them, and what the conversation was about. So right. that if they lose anything or somehow you need to come back and address that later, you have a record of who you talked about that particular topic with. That's very important. Yes. Um, and then update Social Security with pertinent changes to your family situation that might affect the claim. If financially right. your situation changes for the better or for the worse. Right. Um, or medical eligibility. For example, if you have a new physician that comes into play or the child has been um, reached a plateau in recovery and maybe doesn't have the diagnosis they had two years ago. Right. It's changed. They need to know about that. And then use a special needs trust in the, the SSI situation is very important. Uh, attorneys can help you set that up to protect any savings or other right. assets for that child down the road um, so that they can still qualify for these benefits, but yet have that savings you discussed earlier that you are going to need to provide for them right. you know, over the course of their lifetime. Right. And the other thing I forgot to mention is you need to have a banking account. Yes. And it needs to have the person's name who's applying with Social Security and your child's name. One of my accounts had my husband's name, and um, they stopped sending a check. Okay, well, yes. you went to do the application yes. and applied as her representative payee, most likely? Yes. So they're going to want to see your name as well only. as your child's name only on that account, correct? Right, even though we're both guardians. Yes. So anyway, just a point to note. <laughs> okay. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, and I've heard of the, the Social Security experts, and I finally found one, <laughs> and I've been looking for one for a long time to be on the show. So oh. thank you so much. Please give us your contact information. Sure. Our phone number uh, here in Tampa is 813 Four nine five eight seven eight seven, 
and we're happy to help. We're open 830 to 5 every day. Like I say, everyone gets free consultation either over the phone or in person, so we can really get down to how we can best help you and your family. Yes. And your website. Our website is www.montefewconsulting.com. Great. And the show will also be rebroadcast from now on every Saturday evening from 8 to 9. And our next show on Sunday will be, the following Sunday will be Success for Kids. And that's an organization that helps children and their families. Thanks for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1 for the Special Needs Family Hour, only on AM 860. The Answer. The Answer.